Well, God is good. Amen. Amen. God is good. Um, <clears throat> I'll save my thank yous for next week when I can spend a lot of time. And I, <laughs> being such a short-winded individual, you know. But anyway, uh, thank you for your worship. Thank you for your presence this morning. And I know that we're in competition with the holidays, but you did well. And uh, God bless uh, you and God bless all those that, you know, are enjoying some time away with family and et cetera, that type of thing. God bless. But it's our joy and uh, uh, it's our honor, uh, you know, to have Team Africa with us this morning. And uh, if you not familiar with them, they'll get you acquainted, and uh, uh, you'll get to see the whole spectrum, uh, at least some portions of it, uh, of the kingdom of God, and uh, in a different place, yet just as powerful, you know, in the heart of God being uh, uh, brought forth to, you know, another people, and... uh, you know, the word uh, Jesus in his last instruction said we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we get that honor and we get that privilege to not always, you know, be the individual that goes, but to be some of the hands that help them to go. And uh, so uh, I don't know who's first, if it's Peggy or Mark, but... Oh, yeah. You know, I, I even lost sight of Mark. I go, where did he go to? And there, there he, he sits. He's here. So, yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But uh, would you give them a nice warm welcome this morning? Teamwork Africa, Mark and Peggy. <clears throat> and Peggy is from our church here, and we're so grateful to have her back with us. Uh, a lot of times people want to know, um, how did the kids like Africa? And so we're going to just start out our time today having each of the kids talk a little bit about their experience in Liberia. Ah. Oops. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. I didn't see any lions or tigers. I'm tired of chicken and rice, but I loved our pets. I love children, and so it was amazing to be able to be there and always be around little kids outside and playing with them and holding them when their parents needed to go do some work or run into town or something. And so I'm super excited for next year to hopefully be able to start nursery during church because having babies in church is not good. (laughs) Uh, When we were there, seeing Liberians just how positive they are despite how little they have and the hand they've been dealt is really inspiring. But having so little when I'm used to being having so much here, it was really difficult and uh, life-changing. Uh, one of the things that made it bearable for me was my pet mongoose, Moses, <laughs> who I would love to talk to anyone who wants to about after the service. Um, the most important thing I did while I was in Liberia is I started my dance company, Phoenix Dance. Um, when you dance, you can, it's, it's a communication that is, without speaking, you talk with the rest of your body. And a lot of the things that those kids have been through 
it's not common to have two parents that are both home with you and they've been through Ebola and just when you're struggling in the day to day no one asks no one has time to ask about how you're feeling how you're coping and dancing is a really a great way to be able to express that so Phoenix Dance Company is a safe place for those kids to come and be able to share and just be kids instead of uh, working just all the time. Um, we This last year, we've been working to raise support. Um, we have a room where we just need to put in the floor and ceiling and walls. <laughs> um, <laughs> and windows, too. Um, <laughs> uh, so if... Um, if you feel led to give support, we would definitely welcome that. And also, prayer would be great. Uh, last year, my brother, Michael, not Dawson, broke his leg, and uh, he was part of the company. So that was really a, a struggle for us. Um, so just both of those things would be really welcome. Yeah. Um, we're going to dismiss the little kids now. So Teamwork Africa is about six years old, and uh, I'm understanding uh, many of you may know the story, the journey. This was the very first church we came to when we were getting the ball rolling uh, in 2011. And Yet, hopefully before the presentation's done, if you're not familiar, we'll, we'll include in there kind of the, the background. But some of that explanation comes maybe near the end of the presentation. Peggy had served as the executive director of Teamwork Africa for, for quite a while. She went from not paid at all to paid a little bit. And, and then eventually we, we passed that baton on to a former pastor from Illinois, Dale McCauley. He lives in the Quad Cities. And so for more than a year now, he's headed up. I talked to him on the phone last night, and uh, he asked where we were going today because we've got a church booked. All but one Sunday we've been back. We've spoken at church, and we've got, we're booked through August 13th, and then she goes back August 17th to Liberia, and the rest of us will enjoy America for two and a half weeks longer and go back on Labor Day. But uh, I said, you know, where we're going is Bible Center, um, my in-law's home church, and it's really like, like home. I mean, this is the first church we came and spoke at, you guys were so generous that that money was invested to bring our Liberian partner here, and that really started to, as we've said, referencing a biblical story, digging the ditches and waiting for God to pour out the water. But uh, I'm grateful personally for your church and this community for having produced a, a godly woman like Peggy to be my wife for almost 19 years and, uh, and our kids. Thank you. And you guys have come alongside and cheered us prayerfully. We've, you've featured us with your BB, VBS before and have had us back regularly to share. And so we're, we're really grateful to you for that. Pastor Don, even his, his personal touch, I mean, it was before the service. And it wasn't, I mean, but he just kind of checked in with me. But we, we greeted in the lobby, but then he, he checked in and, and he was able to just check like, 
how are you with the Lord? And how about you and Peggy? And how are the kids? I mean, he did it in the most loving, gentle way. But I know he said, you know, I care about the work, but I, I care about the worker. And, you know, he really leads the way on that. Like, I don't know that there's any church or any pastor. And we, we go to a lot of churches all over the, the spectrum. And uh, so thank you uh, so much. So... Uh, it sounded like it was quite a, a celebration last week of their ministry here. So, right. And then lastly, just early in our marriage, I mean, we were at this church, and I don't even know who the guy was, but I mean, somebody spoke a word of prophecy over us that, that God was going to raise us up to have a global, you know, an impact globally. And, you know, that, there was no sign of that at the time. I mean, that was like, I think, before we had kids. And so, you know, and when we got married, Peggy... I want to say she lied to me. She spoke the truth to me as best she could at the time when she said, I don't want to move more than an hour away from my parents. <laughs> but it's because of her, trust me, not because of me, okay? It's because of her that we have moved the family to Liberia, West Africa, okay? So anyhow, why don't we pray? We'll get into what we've got for you this morning about Liberia. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are good. What you do is good. Lord, your ways are not like our ways. Your thoughts are not like our thoughts. But uh, God, we want to know you. As Philippians 3.10 says, we want to know you, the power of your resurrection. And this is the hardest part to pray. And yes, even the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. And so I think of the founder of World Vision, Bob Pierce. He said, oh God, let me weep for those things that make you weep. Yes. And so God, let us be willing to do that. Psalm 126, five and six is something that has been near and dear to us. And I know it was Mabel Louise and Warren's message as they started WWIB radio. And that is that those who go out weeping, carrying bags of seed to sow, will come back rejoicing, singing songs of joy. The deeper your sorrow, the deeper your joy. And the deeper your joy, the deeper your sorrow. And here in America, God, we seem like we don't have... Uh, we, we don't have deeper joy because we don't let ourselves experience the deeper sorrow. So help us be willing to weep for those things that make you weep and that let us uh, experience to know you even in the midst of suffering and that we might have, with deeper sorrow, deeper joy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So my daughter Grace, she's, I think still, I don't know if she left or not. Okay, she went with the kids. She loves kids. But she came up with kind of, she's like, you know what? Living in Liberia for eight and a half months, that was kind of like 3D. And so we're going to give you the 3D experience this morning. And the first D of living there, uh, it's a third world country, but we even say, you know, it's probably on the lower end of the third world countries, a lot of times in the top five or 10 poorest. And it's a 14-year civil war from 89 to 2003, had the Ebola even since then. So, and a lot of people will tell you, you know, there's different opinions on this, that the Ebola was even worse because you didn't know where it would come up. Whereas if you heard the gunfire, you could run somewhere into the jungle. But it doesn't sound like a picnic either. But anyhow, uh, you know, different. I say same planet, different world. Same planet. Yeah, it's, it's planet Earth, but it's a different world over there. And I'll give you some of the things. I mean, if I say... Oh, yeah, you know, there's four seasons. They'll look at me like, what are you talking about? There's two seasons, rainy season and dry season. I'm like, winter, spring, summer, and fall? So, I mean, it's just different. Or, you know, you go to bed at night, and you're supposed to have a mosquito net, and you're supposed to have sprayed with mosquito spray all over the room. I'm sure you did that last night. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no garbage service. I mean, so you wake up, and, you know, we're 
Peggy will tell you more about this. We live amongst the Liberians. We haven't chose to live off, isolated in a missionary community. We're living there in what's called New Life Community. And we're the only white people. And uh, so, hey, white man is a regular phrase I hear. But uh, just you see garbage strewn about. So one of the things I've said is, Hug your garbage man. I mean, do you have a garbage man? I don't know. Maybe you, maybe it's just burned your garbage, but they they could stand to do that more in Liberia. Um, you know, the, they love rice, morning, noon, and night. And so, my son, I think, suffered rice burnout in the second month, and maybe hasn't recovered yet. So. Um. The traffic is crazy. I mean, just trying to get across a busy thoroughfare, I mean, it's just like it can take forever sometimes, and you're, you're really risking your life to try to do that. And, and then finally, just the poverty. I mean, I'm from Milwaukee. I thought I knew what poverty looked like. You know, there's a certain part of Wisconsin's largest city you can drive to, travel through, that maybe you don't want to linger, and you can see the dilapidated housing or the business community is, is wanting. But Man, in Monrovia, which is Liberia's capital, more than a million people. I mean, it's just like poverty goes on and on and endlessly on. And you're like, this, it's hard to look at. It's hard to walk through. And, and yet it, it breaks your heart for what breaks God's. Is this one on yet? No. Oh, I can. I can, but then I can't comment when you say something I want to say something about. <laughs> Um, uh, Mark mentioned we uh, we chose to live in the community um, that our team lives in, and uh, for different reasons, other missions you know make the best choices for them, and a lot of people choose to live with other missionaries or in walled communities, and that's not where God led us. And so we live right in New Life Community in Lower Johnsonville, outside of Monrovia, and we are the only white family that I know of in that entire area, and so that has definitely give us an, a, a completely different experience of what it's like to be the minority like <laughs> and uh and for our kids to experience you know like there's uh sometimes we actually put a privacy fence around our house because kids kept coming to our windows to just peek in and see what the white people were doing so we're, we're very entertaining sometimes my kids have felt a little bit like a circus act like there's no inter- other entertainment so you just come and <laughs> watch what we're doing at the zoo <laughs> um and uh, so that's been a, a different experience and, and having, you know, sometimes you can theoretically think about what would it be like if a hungry child showed up at my door? And that's not theoretical in Liberia. That is, uh, that can be, you know, that, that actually happens. And then you have the, the ethical dilemma of what am I going to do now that this hungry little boy and girl are at my door? Because if I feed them today, they might come back tomorrow and they might bring their neighbors and their cousins and their friends. And then what will I do? And so, you know, wrestling with, with really hard questions, I, I sometimes felt like my mind was like a Rubik's cube trying to, to wrestle out, God, how do I live as a follower of you in this broken, desperate place? And, uh, and we just relied heavily on our, our community of friends around us. I, I learned a whole different level of what it means to be part of a community in Liberia. Um, one of the very strong American values is independence and self-sufficiency. And we take care of ourselves. And I got my own lawnmower and you have your own lawnmower. And, you know, I, I make my own decisions and I feel a level of security in being able to provide for myself. Well, there's a whole different world and a different way of looking at things. And in Liberia, I feel 
feel most secure when I know that my neighbors are looking out for me. And when I know that if I don't have something to eat today, I can trust my neighbors will share what they have. And when they don't have something, they can trust me that I'll be for them there for them too. Because there's no way our family could have provided for ourselves in Liberia. I could not provide security for our home. I needed my Liberian brothers to do that for me and to be there. And so when those children show up at my door and I don't know what to do, I ask Rosalind. Who's our, she's, uh, helps us, I don't know how to cook on a coal pot, and it takes forever. And so Rosalind cooks for us, and she just is our friend. And so I said, Rosalind, what can we do for these kids that are, you know, at the door? And she said, oh, there's something called gary, and it's a roasted cassava. Cassava's a root, and so you grate it and you roast it. She said, mix it with a little sugar, and we'll put it in baggies, and we'll put a little box of it by the door. So when kids come, you can just hand it to them as a little treat. And it's the perfect solution because it's not something that's so valuable that everyone in the community is going to come because the Americans are giving out candy, but it's also something they're familiar with, something that's acceptable, something that, that actually helped us to, to address that issue. Um, so our first D was just the way things are different there. The second D is difficult. As you, as you might imagine, uh, living in Liberia is quite difficult. And when people ask us, how was it? I usually say something like, well, it was very challenging. And uh, we just want to be honest with you today, some of the ways that it was really challenging. One of the things that I did when I was there was to do well assessments. In 2015 and 2016, we did over 240 water projects. And we, we kind of exceeded our ability because we were going really fast. And so we as a team really needed to make Make sure that the work that we did was done well and it was you know meeting the needs of the community so I went out on this audacious task of trying to go see 240 water projects and and by grades God's grace we actually exceeded that I we actually did more than 250 projects and I didn't even see all of the new wells that we did, but that's a story for another day. Um, when I went out and did these water projects, the first thing I needed to do was get into our Land Cruiser and travel on muddy roads that look like this. And our vehicle is roadworthy. It's designed for the Liberian roads, but these other vehicles are not. And so sometimes they would you know, kind of get in our way and we'd have to figure out how we're gonna get around them. After we traveled down those roads, we would come to the jungle paths, and these are some of the bridges um, that we'd cross, and literally, when we came to a bridge, the driver would sorta eye it up, and then he'd stop, and the guys would get out in the back and move the sticks or the planks to line them up with the axles of the truck so that it could, <laughs> it could drive across. And only a couple times did I feel tempted to get out. <laughs> Um, most of the time, sometimes I got out just to take pictures because I'm like, the people back in the mirror have got to see what this looks like. <laughs> so um, then after we go as far as the jungle road can go, then I walk to the village and I come across bridges that look like this. So the fun thing about Liberian bridges, and that, that one that's a pile of sticks, that's actually a very long bridge over a swamp. And uh, the thing about Liberia is it's a tropical rainforest, so it's very hot and humid, and things rot really fast. So as I'm crossing these bridges, I'm always like kind of testing it out <laughs> to see uh, how well this is going to hold. And I'm happy to say I, I never fell in. I, I, I didn't get all muddy, but I, I certainly had a lot of challenging um, adventures uh, tromping through the jungle to go see it so that we could get to a place that would look like this. 
And we would, um, every time I would travel through the jungle, I'd find one of our projects, a new well that was there or a well that we had fixed. And often um, there, something simple had broken with the well. And what we found is that even though our plan had been to train young men in the village to fix those wells, that population of people is the most transient. It's the young men who are leaving to go to school or to find work. And so a year or two when the seal wears out, there's nobody there to fix the pump. And um, fixing the pump, uh, most of the time, I would say 75% of the time we'd stop at a pump, it would take us 15 or 20 minutes, take off the cover, pull up the, the pipe, fix the seal, pop it back in, and it was good to go. Once in a while, we'd come to a a bigger problem where there's a crack in the pipe or something else happened. Sometimes kids stick sticks inside the pump handle, and so then that clogs it up, and so we have to clean it all out. Um, this is the, the well team that I traveled with. That's Jerome and James, Gabriel and Peter Willie in the striped shirt. And I, I just want to just show you their picture and just tell you that I, it was my privilege to travel with this group of godly men. And uh, I, uh, Peter Willie was the chief technician. There was a couple times where Pilly, Peter Willie and I got on the back of a motorcycle. So it was three of us, the motorcycle driver, me, and Peter Willie. And we'd drive on a motorcycle <laughs> to go down the path that was too narrow for the Jeep, but it was too far to walk. And so um, one time Peter and Willie and I walked up what felt like uphill for an hour. And to get to this place, it was just exhausting. Thing. We finally got there. I see a brand new well. I get my data, and now it's time, 10 minutes later, it's time to turn around and go back. And Peter Willie was like, I'm not really sure you're going to make it. So they said, he said, I found another path around the mountain. I'm like, okay. So anyway, it turned out walking around the mountain turned out to be almost as long as going over it because of the, the treacherous terrain. But Peter Willie, um, is so passionate about what he does and the way that it serves his people. Um, we would come to a village and um, we'd come to a pump that wasn't a Teamwork Africa pump, but it wasn't working. And Peter Willie would say, Sis Peggy, can we fix this pump? And I'd say, Willie, let's fix it. And then later in the day, it would be the guys have been working all day long. It's 6.30, we should be heading back to town and we'll come to one more pump. And I'll say, Peter Willie, do we have enough time to fix this one? And Peter would say, Sis Peg, I'm going to fix it. And he was so creative. I mean, he, he never came to a pump that he would let it beat him. I mean, he, he did, I mean, he was just thinking on the spot, like, oh, let's try this, or we'll try this. I saw him make his own coupling by heating up. So there's a, like a PVC pipe, and there's a coupling that attaches it to the next pipe. And we didn't have a coupling. So he heated up, he got a little... Um, like a little, can not a candle, but a little flame, and he heated up the plastic until it was soft and malleable, and he expanded it until it would fit. So he, he's like, this is, this is Liberian coupling. But he, he was, <laughs> I just, and the thing is, is that at the end of the time, after all these months of traveling and doing all these pumps with these guys, um, at the end, I was trying to train them on how to do the reporting that I was doing so that after I left, they could keep doing it. And I was trying, I was, I said, well, I was talking to the other guy. I said, Peter Willie doesn't seem really interested in learning how to do the reporting. And I'm not sure why. And they said, well, Peter Willie is, is barely literate. He can hardly read. And it challenged my thinking because I had somehow in the back of my mind thought that illiterate people just weren't very smart. 
And that wasn't the case at all. P Peter Willey is brilliant. He's, he could be an inventor. He's creative and he's passionate. And it, and, and it inspired me again at why education in Liberia is so important because Liberia is missing out on people who could make a big difference in their country simply because they didn't have the opportunity to become all that God created them to be. Some of the other difficult problems. Can I talk about the generator? Or you want to do that no, one? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Mark's going to talk about some of the other difficult. Oh, wait. Mark reminded me when I talked about all that well stuff, that's the stuff that we have been doing. But because of the, all of those experiences, we have really seen that well repair is a really important need in Liberia. And there are other organizations who continue to put new wells in Liberia. Um, but as far as I can see, there's no one who's going behind to make sure that those wells are well maintained and continuing to function. We went to several places where um, someone would come to the village and say they were a well technician, but they needed to take the, the rods out of the pipe and they would steal them because the village just didn't know. And so we, we coming up this next year, we're going to develop a plan that these guys will become a well repair um, group. And we're going to add an evangelist to their team so that while they're going to repair these wells, that evangelist can share the gospel in a way that people can understand. Uh, okay. You're just all right. That's okay. Yeah, sure. So more on the difficult side. This is Michael. He's a 12-year-old Liberian boy that we've been intending to try to adopt for, for quite a while now. I see Mavericks here today. I think you talked to him by Skype at some point, I think, didn't you? Anyhow. Uh, but we were out at the beach one day, and he thought he could get the better end of a coconut tree that had fallen and was coming in and out with the tide, and the coconut tree won. And so he broke his femur. Uh, and that's hard to do. And then he was uh, laid up in traction for nine weeks. So we were fortunate to find a, an American trained doctor who was there and she did the best she could for him. And so he's on the mend right now. But, you know, that was, had had its challenges to it. There were some boys that we sponsored for school. Uh, school, uh, by the way, the, uh, one US dollar equals 110 Liberian dollars. That was the case when we left. So like one dollar's pretty good, and five is, is that much better. But to go to school was 100 or more US dollars at the school we worked with primarily called Great King Academy. Peggy's going to be the administrator there um, coming up this coming school year. And so uh, probably one of the things that was the biggest punch in the gut um, was one of the few boys that we sponsored, part of the way he would say thank you to us, Shelton, is he would bring the water in and out. We'd get the water from the well. One of the difficulties was we didn't have running water. We weren't counting on that. We thought that there'd be running water. We'd had some when we'd been there in the past. And for reasons that you can probably explain better than me, it never was really materialized. And so it just meant like you go to the bathroom and you've got to go to the, the large bucket of water you've got in the bathroom to dump it down, or you've got to draw from that water to wash your hands and what have you. You take bucket baths. You don't have a shower and all those kinds of things. But Shelton was bringing the water in for us, and then I don't know how long it had been going on, but we discovered you know $108 was missing. And then later that night, Peggy had been grocery shopping that day, and we found the, the Ziploc bag that she'd had the money in and a, a grocery store card in the bathroom behind one of these large water containers without the $108. And one thing led to another, and, and eventually he did confess to it. If you remember the movie like Les Mis, I mean, I thought, wow, this is like Les Mis, where, you know, the priest helps Jean Valjean, and then Jean Valjean steals from him. And then the police get involved, and the priest says, 
oh yeah, you stole those candles. You know, he, he doesn't say, hey, you stole my candlesticks. He's like, oh yeah, no, I gave those to him. And here, take two more. Well, but when you in real life experience that, when you in real life are like, we were paying for your schooling. And we've had security, like she mentioned, and nobody else stole from us. And the guy who stole is the, we were feeding you and you bit our hand. I think that happened with our mongoose, but we weren't counting on that with, with him. And so... And it was difficult to work through, and it didn't end well, okay? I mean, everybody likes a happy, it didn't really, I mean, he, we tried to work something out with the school that we'd still pay with his schooling. We tried to be merciful. We tried to be, and it just didn't. And then he got busted for stealing from somebody else at the school, and then he was out for two weeks. And listen, I met Shelton when the first day of school was over, and he was out on a bike, and, and he said he wasn't going to school. And he was 13 years old. And he was in fifth grade. And he didn't, he read more like at a first grade level. And we tried. I remember Sundays, Peggy and I both working with him to try to. So, I mean, this just takes you into the heartache and the heartbreak and the difficulty. Like, why would you do that? I don't know what your future, like education is a ticket somewhere. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So pray for Shelton. We, we raised money through the radio station. They gave us uh, grace to raise s- support, and we raised money to buy a generator. We only tried to raise 2500 and we raised 3500 and we, they got a nice generator that was not only going to be able to provide electricity at night for us so we could have running fa- we could have working fans. Many of the people sleep without having fans blowing them, but we're spoiled, pampered Americans, and we're like, we like to have it. Otherwise, you just sweat just by sitting there, okay? And so... It's like a sauna all the time. And so, uh, but we had a lot of problems with the generator because we, we, we got this nice one that hopefully other people could hook up and get electricity from and they could get lights and fans and, and maybe they could be charged minimally and our Liberian partner could use it as a bit of a business. But there were a variety of problems with that. Some of the technicians made mistakes with it that seemed ill-advised. It was kept in the piggery. There's a piggery near where we live. Boy, those are loud uh, when they're hungry. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> they, they, no matter what gate we set up, they would break through the gate, these huge hogs. And then they, one time they, they knocked the fuel line and all the gas that had just been filled, like $15 of fuel for that day, psh, spilled out. So um, just, and then there were like as many as four different generators we used to somehow hopefully, so I mean, just... That is, just to take you into that, that's the hardship and the difficulty and the challenge on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I got a good workout just walking a long way to go get the, the fuel for that night. And it was good. I, I lost 30 pounds, so praise the Lord. But um, so being robbed and the generator problems and no running. And just, again, I'm just to take, like, when you go to bed at night, are you concerned about wiping the dirt off your feet? Because... It's really dusty and dirty where we live in this community. And I mean, I even slept in the interior. I went, I went into, down some of those roads you saw, Peggy, and once a month, I'll get to that later, but I mean, I would go and teach in a Bible school. But I'd go to bed in this house in the interior, and my feet were nowhere near as dirty as they were every single night going to this uh, bed in our house. Because as much as we would sweep, or occasionally somebody would mop, very rarely, but occasionally when that would happen, uh, you know, your feet were just, it just was so dusty and dirty. And, and every, you know, unless you want the dust and the dirt all over your bed, you know, you're just wiping it off your feet. And it just gets to be a hassle. So, um, 
I'm just taking it into our reality. So you're sweaty and you gotta take, you're taking two showers a day and it's not a usual, it's a bucket bath with cold water, which is really welcome. And then on top of all that, just the lack of mobility. We had one vehicle. It's, it's, we've raised the money to, to have a land cruiser over there, but we, we didn't drive at least in year one. But again, as crazy as the roads are, you know, it's an insurance risk. Uh, and it's, there's motorbikes everywhere and just cra craziness. I mean, you've never experienced it here like that, even in Chicago or Minneapolis. And so, anyhow, these were a lot of the challenges. Um, and probably the biggest challenge that we faced was with our container. Um, some of you may have known that last, last summer I worked really hard. A lot of people came and helped us and we packed up tons of stuff, including a lot of our personal items um, to make living in Liberia a little bit more comfortable because I had been there 11 times. I knew a lot of the challenges that my family would face. And so I tried to think creatively, like, what is it like something that would make you feel more at home? For Elena, she really wanted a porch swing. So I bought a porch swing and I packed it, you know, I was in the box ready to go to assemble when we got there. And Grace really wanted a hammock. So like, you know, how are we going to, so some of those ideas, some of those just decorations from home, some of those things that I thought, you know, make it a little bit more at, you know, feel comfortable here. And so we got there, I'm like, the kids are like, wow, this is, uh, you know, hard. And I'm like, don't worry. In a couple months, the container will be here and, and everything will be fine. We'll really settle in. Well, the container arrived at the beginning of November. Um, and we were promised we'll get it out of port by Christmas. And it didn't come by Christmas. I'm like, oh, January, it'll come. It didn't come in January, December, every, or February, every week, our broker told me this week, the container will come. He continually asked for more money. Oh, this didn't happen. It'll come next week. This didn't happen. It'll come next week. March, nothing. April, nothing. I'm like, we are getting close to leaving and the container is not here. And I found these thoughts just barraging my mind that I'm like saying, God, come on. We gave up all this stuff. We sold our house. We quit our jobs. We moved to Africa. I mean, can't you like yeah. come through? Come through. Ina, do something. Like you could open this up. You could make this come. I don't understand why. Why are you making this so hard for us? Don't you want us to be here? Did we miss you? Don't you love us? Aren't you good? Like all of those, those thoughts and questions when things are really hard. And I'm like, ah, oh. you know, they're just you know, like pounding me like, like waves by the shore. And I'm like fighting against these thoughts. I'm like, no, God is good. I know he's good. I, I know God is good. I've based my whole faith on the fact that God is good. Every email that I send, I say, God is good. And I was a, on a well assessment team. And when we do that, I, there's a guest house that I stay at in Banga and in, I do my quiet time. It's the best quiet time in the morning in Banga. Cause there's no one else around. I'm just waiting for the team to come and pick me up. And that morning I was reading from Habakkuk 3, um, 17 through 19, it said, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the oil crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen, and there's no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like the feet of the deer, and he will enable me to tread on the heights. And so I took that, and I wrote my own Habakkuk 3. And I wrote, though the water's still not connected and there's no running water in the house, though the big generator is still down even after hundreds of dollars to fix it, though the limited power is inconsistent and the air conditioner doesn't work, and though the container hasn't come and we may lose everything in it and the thousands of dollars spent to get it here, yet will I praise you for you are good. 
I will be joyful in the Lord, my sustainer, who works all things for good for those who love him. And I just put my flag in the ground and I said, no matter what happens, no matter whether the container comes, no matter we get sick, whatever happens, I would rather die than deny that God is good. The container came 10 days before we left. And it was a bit of a relief, but it was also like, you know, still a hard thing. It was very bittersweet because all of those things that we had shipped to make our lives just a little bit better all have to wait now until next year. But God is so very good. And sometimes he even gives us a little insight into what he's doing behind the scenes. One, God did a tremendous work in my heart, helping me to know. Because for all of us, we can say what we believe about God, but it is not until those things are challenged to we're in the darkest night, in the deepest valley, when things are not going well at all. That's when what we really believe about God is revealed. And as God tested me in that place, in his loving kindness, he let me go through that challenge. My faith was strengthened. My hope in him renewed. But not only was God doing something very powerful inside of me, but I talked to some missionaries later who were telling a similar story about a missionary family who moved into the community of the people that they were working with, just like us, and all their stuff from America. And they were building relationships and good rapport with the people they were with. And then all their stuff from America came And immediately there was a distance between them and their community because they were separate now. They had all of their things, all the American things. And how do I know that God wasn't continuing to solidify the depth of the partnerships as the Liberians around us watched us live like they live? And so God God was good even when I couldn't see it, even when I challenged him, even when I was angry and upset. God was there and he was doing something really powerful in us. God's used that story about uh, Peggy saying that God is good. Even if I have to die, I'm going to go to my death saying God is good, regardless of the circumstances. And the very first church we spoke in fellowship in Chippewa Falls, when we came back, we didn't know this. But it turns out there was a guy, I've met him and got to know him a little bit since then. His name is Steve. And Steve had been a a truck driver and a meth addict for 12 years. And... uh, he had been in a situation where somebody had tried to blind him because they thought he had sold them bad meth. And so he had one last surgery scheduled two days after we spoke. And he went into that surgery holding on to what Peggy said, that no matter if I die, God is good. And that he had the surgery. Now, listen, this didn't, I mean... They did the best they could, and at least at this point, Steve can't see. And there's not any immediate path forward where he's going to. But he is still, he was at our celebration. Some of you may have met him. He's still holding on to that, like he's out there in the water. He's like, you know what? God is good. He's a married guy. I met some of his kids, so praise the Lord, right? Job says, though he slay me, still I trust him, right? He is good. I I begin most of my prayers, Psalm 119, verse 68. He is good, and what he does is good. So the third D is, it was different, it was difficult, but it was delightful. 
Okay, so a little sweet and salty, okay? Sweet and salty. All right, so uh, one of the things is, I mean, I got to spend more time with my kids, and one of the jobs was doing homeschooling with them. We read through several books together, and Evelyn said I improved as a homeschool educator better than when they were young when I would just get, give them the answers, so that was better. Uh, but other ways... It was delightful, and the delightful had to do with the people. What you're looking at there is a, a Saturday where we got together, and just some young people, a, a friend of ours, Habaku Fineboy, his name is, and he arranged this gathering of, of worship and just sharing about leadership. And so they're so hungry, and they're humble. Uh, many of the Liberian people are very, very humble, very, very thankful, but hungry to learn. You know, we've had access to... That we take for granted to so much knowledge that uh, books are precious treasures there to be able to get their hands on. They don't have necessarily, Wi Fi has improved, but they don't necessarily have the laptops and the, the, uh, all the different tools we have. So I've been blessed by, I mean, certainly little kids to play with them. And I have a particular favorite little, little girl by the name of Ma Nancy. Sometimes they have different names, okay? Like, it's not an American name you're used to, but her name is Ma Nancy, and she's just fun. I give her a lot of airplane rides and do different things, but uh, I had the opportunity to lead Sunday school and, and give the message uh, most Sundays, and we worked through, you know, almost five books of the Bible, so I was doing a lot of expository preaching, teaching in the Bible school I mentioned, an Old Testament survey, and the guys there very hungry and eager to learn. Um, discipling. I think we've got a picture. These are some of the guys. It just really stood out to me. You know, 2 Timothy 2 Sue says, and the things uh, which thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same things you've heard from me, Timothy, commit that to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So what that says is we, the practical carrying out of the Great Commission is that you would disciple people who would disciple people. We named our son Dawson after Dawson Trotman of the Navigators. I mean, I'm looking at a little book of his today, Born to Reproduce. I mean, you're supposed to pour your life into people who will pour their life into people. Billy Graham himself, the great evangelist, said the way to reach the world isn't the crusades I do. It's 2 Timothy 2, too. And so that's the way. And so that's how we carry out the Great Commission. And so from left to right here, you've got David Williams. I mean, he pastors a church, bright young guy. He really only came a couple of times, but he was so grateful for any resource I could put in his hands. Next to him is Johnson. Johnson is married with three kids. I mean, I went into his house one day. Unbelievable. I mean, it's like there's like a laundry room and then there's a bedroom. That's it. I mean, where do you go to the bathroom? I mean, like we go way over here or frequently people go outside. But anyhow... Uh, You've got, uh, he's trying to build a new, a new house, Johnson. is. George is next to him. George is a budding young evangelist in his 20s. And George, even while we've been away, has been out preaching the gospel and teaming up with some of our TA pastors to spread the good news. And finally, there's Bob, Bob Liberty. And he too uh, pastors a church and was very grateful for any resources, uh, Bibles or books we could put into his hands. So I would say beyond that, uh, Beyond the disciple training I was offering a couple times a week, these are some of the students at Great King Academy. This is the school where in the latter part of our time there, I got to teach Bible. And that became probably my favorite activity because that was a daily event. And more and more, God was opening my eyes to not just training you know, men who are 20 or 30 or older, not just even discipling guys who are already in their 20s, but these are tomorrow's leaders. And 
D.L. Moody told a story where he came home one night, the famous evangelist, and his wife said, how did it go? How many people got saved? He, he said two and a half, and his wife paused and said, oh, oh, two adults and a child? And he said, no, two children and an adult. She said, well, what do you mean two and a half? And she, he said, those kids have the rest of their life in front of them. So they count as a whole, and people, you know, the adults are a half. So, I mean, yeah. So these are... These are the whole, and so being able to teach Bible to the 5th through 8th graders, and next year it's going to be 5th through ninth as the school expands out, and to each one of them has here, this is the last day we're there, and they've got like leadership books in their hands, and uh, the, right now we've got five, but I can see that growing as because, you know, leaders are readers, and Joy is special because she's the, the girl who stands out as the greatest leader in the school, and so we have hopes and dreams for them. Abraham is uh, one of the boys we helped sponsor in school, the one furthest to the left, and he wants to be a scientist. Well, listen, there's not a lot of kids in Africa who are talking about being a scientist, but when we left, I mean, he had like a chemistry textbook, and he's going into eighth grade, and he's just, I'm like, do you understand that? Because I don't. So anyhow, he's like, yeah, I do. And so, great. That's why I don't want to be a scientist, and you do. So anyhow, great joys in developing the young people. Uh, aside from the well um, assessments that I did and the chances that I got to go out into the interior, I also, uh, my primary focus of going to Liberia was to be able to be in the classroom um, because that, that's my background. I, I'm actually a teacher. I went to college to be an elementary teacher. I did that for a couple years. And since the beginning of Teamwork Africa over six years ago, um, I haven't been able to do hardly anything with education. God's completely put me in other areas that I have no experience in. So I was like, ah. Oh. Finally, I'm going to get to do something that I'm good at. And almost as soon as I got there, I was pushed immediately out of my comfort zone again into administrative role. Again, another area that I don't know anything about. And I went right from, I, didn't, I, I only did three weeks of classroom teaching, and I found out teaching in a Liberian classroom is a whole different ballgame. Um, I'm used to having curriculum and textbooks and, you know, like dry erase board, like minimum. And I, I walked into a classroom where I had the teacher standards that said this, this semester or this period, you're going to teach on uh, simple machines. Good luck. <laughs> so I had to do my own research. I'm like, okay, what are the simple machines and how do they work? And how do I, and all I had was whatever research I could find and my chalkboard. And I'm like, this is really hard. I mean, what I would teach teachers is totally different than what they really need. And so God just gave me this last year just an, an opportunity to just observe and learn the challenges of, of education and classroom teachers in Liberia. And so uh, after a year of doing a lot of watching, and I still did a lot of um, teacher workshops because we had sent uh, textbooks, Liberia's um, National Languages English. And so all of our books are useful there. And we had sent reading books. So I did a lot of like reading comprehension workshops with the teachers to tell them how they could use these textbooks in their classrooms because they had literally never had textbooks. Here's a picture of a little boy with a textbook that's from Eau Claire School District. Um, and so just starting at almost nothing. So that's, that's one of the things that when I go back, there are five main schools that we're working with. Three are um, kind of in our community in Monrovia area, and two of them are in the rural areas. And uh, we're going to continue to do teacher workshop with them. And I'm going to have more of a, like Mark said earlier, an administrative role with our school to just try to give these kids an opportunity to become um, what God has really 
made them to be. Our school at Great King Academy, um, we start out, my Annie is the principal of the school and she loves these children. When we have our weekly prayer group, she prays for her students that they would know Jesus. And uh, so we do prayer and devotion um, at the school. And then just outside of our campus is where the Orphan Grain Farm is. And this is just a picture of our, our rice crop. There's 10 20, 20 acres um, of cultivated land where they can grow three crops a year. And uh, this is the seed rice that they grow. And we just this last year, in partnership with the World Food Program, we were able to get a rice mill so that we can mill that rice and so that it's, it's even more profitable. Aside from those um, agriculture projects, we also have a clinic on our campus, and it was a huge, huge blessing to us. So anytime that there were like um, blisters, Mark had a bad reaction to the fire ants um, early when we got there, or and one of the kids would have a funny looking rash on their arm, I could take them to the clinic and say, <laughs> what is this? And uh, so that was just a wonderful, God really blessed us that way in being able to do that. That's a staff of our clinic, and, and just, for three years, we've talked about mobile medical outreach. And for a couple times when we'd have an American team come, we'd be able to do that. But the Liberian team has now organized um, and figured out what to do. And last month after we left, they did their first mobile medical outreach without us. And they went into a village, and treated the people, and shared the gospel with them. And I'm really excited about where that's going to go um, with that. Do you want to? Okay. Uh, okay. Um, I don't even know how long our service goes. I'll talk. I'll just talk about AB then. Okay. So this is AB. Um, this is our, our chief driver. Um, culturally, you know, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, honesty is differently understood there than it is here, and um, how you handle money is handled very differently. And and so it's very challenging to find someone who's really trustworthy, who understands things the way you do. And uh, AB was one of those guys. Um, when I I had we had another driver who was on the other. Anyway, I had another driver who, if he took our truck to go get fixed, it always cost exactly what I gave him, and I, he never brought me a receipt. And I'm like, you are not my first choice. <laughs> uh, but when I would, when AB, AB is not only an excellent driver, but he's also a mechanic. And so when we would need to get the brakes fixed or, you know, something done on the Jeep, you can imagine the wear and tear on that vehicle. Um, I could send AB with, with money and AB would stay there and make sure that the parts that they put on it were actually new parts. And they gave me the right price and he'd bring me back the change. And he was just, he was a guy who actually had like maintenance in mind. So he would tell me, he'd say, Hey, Hey, says Peggy, I think we should change the oil on the generator. I'm like, good thought, AB. Let's not wait until it breaks down to change the oil. So um, he was just a wonderful guy. And after getting to know him a little bit, we found out that he's actually from a different tribe called Mandingo and that they're traditionally Muslim. And so I don't have a gift of evangelism. I don't, you know, it's not comfortable for me to just share the four spiritual laws. And, but AB had already been on my heart so much. I'm like, God, please give me an opportunity to share Jesus with AB. And so as we started to get to know him and talk about his family and his upbringing and his kids, you know, we just had a good friendship with him. And on Easter Sunday, I was driving somewhere with AB. I said, hey, AB, it's Easter today. I said, what do you believe? What do you think about Jesus? You know, what do you, what is, what do you believe about who he is? And so we had a, a, a you know, a wonderful, comfortable, natural conversation about Jesus. And AB said to me, he said, why do you believe that Jesus is God? Because, you know, we only believe that there's one God and, and, you know, Jesus was one of his prophets. And I said, AB, I believe that Jesus is God because he said he was. 
And we just, you know, AB did not become a believer that day. But it was a wonderful opportunity to just share that faith with him. And so I, I share his picture um, when we travel, just so that you would see him and know his name and pray that someday when we get to heaven, A.B. will be there with us. Yeah, the wonderful liar, lunatic, Lord argument from Augustine to C.S. Lewis, the idea of Jesus claimed to be God, he either was or he wasn't, right? And he can't be a prophet if he claimed to be God. So if he's, so you get the point. Okay, so the thing about... Uh, Islam, though, is that uh, a couple of things to note. There's a mosque that was almost completed by the time we left, a stone's throw away of where we live and live from. So we'll be hearing the Muslim call to prayer. And I would part company with a well-known American politician who said it was the most beautiful sound in the world. I I don't think probably. I I heard one when I was there, and I didn't find it that way. And yet uh, God's opening my eyes to ways that people in America are even reaching out to Muslims. Uh, Larry Ballard from Youth with a Mission is based in Janesville, and he's let me know about reaching out into the Muslim community just over the last year and a half. Some tremendous inroads God's given him, a friendship with the local imam, and he recommended a book I would recommend to you called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And so God continues to, this particular guy, uh, God spoke to him through a dream, and so However God can do it, he, you know, nothing's impossible for him. So I will seek to build relationship with the local imam, and I would welcome your prayers. But also we're hearing it's an election year in Liberia. And so in October, there'll be an election. And so we're hearing of uh, Muslim money, Arab Muslim money that's pouring into the country, uh, trying to find a, a party where they can work to try to gain greater political control. So between the mosque and the Muslim money, you know, that the efforts are being undertaken in that regard. And so, you know, that enlightened me, though, as I heard that when we were here, like our job is to to do what I've understood my mission in life to be for quite a while, which is win people to Christ and build people in Christ. Because what else matters, right? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so there in Liberia, yes, it's, it's still a predominantly Christian country, many times nominally so. But you know, amongst Sierra Leone, Guinea, or Ivory Coast, they're predominantly Muslim already. So we desire to see Teamwork Africa spill over into those nations. But for now, we're strengthening what is, even as the Muslims look to come in. In closing, I guess I want to just say, you know, the Teamwork Africa journey, and, and, if, and in any way this speaks to you, you know, um, do what you will with it. But two days ago marked the eighth anniversary of uh, the death of a little boy that we had hoped to adopt. We don't have his picture up here right now, but his name was Habakkuk. And that's why we've called our wells Habakkuk's wells, right? And so, you see, we had intended to adopt one and then two little boys, You saw Michael, and he had a brother named Habakkuk. But Habakkuk, uh, he died of cholera from dirty drinking water in this village called Peleteyama. And as I was getting ready, even this time, as we came back to America, I'm like, God, what do you want me to share? We're going to be at a lot of churches. And I felt like one of the stories that God impressed on me most significantly was the Good Samaritan. And as I pondered that story from Luke 10, you know, you remember it? The priest and the Levite and then the Samaritan. And as Jesus told that to a Jewish audience, I mean, that's like saying the good Muslim or the good, I'm, there's other names you could put in. We'll stick with Muslim for now. So anyhow, I, uh, and the priest is the, the spiritual leader and the Levite is the temple assistant. It could be, no, no personal disrespect, could be the pastor and the co-pastor, okay? Could be the pastor and the worship leader. It could be the Christian radio broadcaster. And the way that story played out, you see, when Habakkuk died, I was sad. 
Peggy told me, we didn't find out that day, probably found out maybe this day, day or two later, that the boy you'd hoped to adopt died. And so I was sad, like, but I wasn't sad as her. I mean, I found that later that, wow, she was adoption pregnant. She was carrying that boy inside of her in ways I know nothing about. But out of that, I was struck with this thought that it's sad that he died, but that happens to kids in Africa. That's what I thought. That, that happens to, I mean, that's Africa. You know, my comment there was uh, very much like uh, something that journalist Susan Moeller quoted in her book, Compassion Fatigue, where she shared a shocking statement she says she found often repeated in newsrooms around the country. Here's what she said. In the news business, one dead fireman in Brooklyn is worth five English bobbies or police officers who are worth 50 Arabs who are worth 500 Africans. Is that what we think? I mean... You know, I'm a trained journalist. I mean, I know that there's a sense in which you have to make news judgment. It's one of the toughest things about being a news director, and you make news judgment. And, and so I have to say, I, I was guilty of that. I was, here I was, 2009, I was like, that happens to kids in Africa. And so my wife, though, she was like, well, it, it doesn't need to, and we should, we should raise the money to put in a $7,000 was the price we had to put in a clean water well in the village of Peleteyama. And so, all right. And so we went about that work. And by God's grace, we were able to do that. But I got to say, as I've reflected back on it all these years later, and I, I'm honest with that was my thought initially. I thought I was like the priest and the Levite. I mean, I would have been okay. I was a Christian radio broadcaster. We were intending to adopt. What do you want from me? And the priest and the Levite, I, I don't, they weren't bad guys, I don't think. Right? They were going to the temple. I wasn't Christian. You know, and so... But I, I was willing to see the kids in the village with the dirty water and go, well, that happens to them, you know? How often do we do that? So I've been challenged lately even to just, as I was pondering that, God brought me across a book uh, by a pastor in Chicago called Who, Who is My Neighbor? And he comes up with 40 different answers. You know, your neighbor is naked. Your neighbor is robbed. Your neighbor is so many things. And um, so I'm grappling with that. And, and so there's a book by Rich Stearns, who's the president of World Vision he, from a number of years back called The Hole in Our Gospel. And he said, you know, up until even the middle of part of the 20th century, uh, we had difficulty uh, maybe ministering to somebody who might be our neighbor on the other side of the world, like Liberia. But he says, you know, there's three A's. And the first is awareness. Do you know about the issue? Do you know about their problem? Do you know about their difficulty here of dirty drinking water? Well, yeah, we've got better awareness probably than ever, right? And then access, I mean, through travel. I mean, can you get there? Can you help them? Yeah, probably better than ever, right? Uh, and then finally, the third one is ability. If you've got the awareness and the access, do you have the ability to help? I mean, by going or by sending money or by sending equipment? Yes, 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 yes. And so that means that, oh, the American church is rising up and meeting needs. No, not necessarily. Because somebody said to me yesterday, well, there's a fourth A, apathy. Apathy, that's the dreaded American disease, right? So I'll just close with this. I'm Bono, the lead singer of U2, they're traveling the country on their 30th anniversary tour. And uh, he said a few years back, and his, his heart, he's, he's really... 
raised a lot of money. He's done a lot for Africa over the years. And he said that there's 15,000 Africans are dying each day of preventable, treatable diseases, AIDS, malaria, TB, for lack of drugs we take for granted. My wife calls it stupid death, unnecessary death. And we, the church, need to awaken. Keith Green sang that we were asleep in the light. That cannot be any longer. And I would just invite you to allow that wonderful story of the Good Samaritan to challenge you afresh and anew. I would suggest that our neighbor isn't just the person next door, though they are. It isn't just the person who may be homeless or uh, deeply impoverished in America. But consider even those brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who are made in God's image, that they're in need and that they need help. And uh, are you willing to be more like my wife was in 2009 than I was? I pray that you would be willing to do what God would lead you to do. I said that was a perfect place. And let me pray. God, thank you. So many times we come before you with all of our heaviness on our mind, and we don't just stop to say just thank you. You have been so good and gracious to us. What a gift to be born in this country at this time. We won the lottery by virtue of our birth. And now, God, your word says to whom much is given, much is required. After all that you've given to us, what is it? How can we reflect your love that you've given to us back to you? How can we live our lives in such a way that we stand before you, we'll have something of worth and honor to give to you that you would say, well done, Mm -hmm. good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. God, that when we stand before you and we say, when did we see you? And you say, when he gave a cup of water to someone in my name, Mm You did it for me. God, help us not get swept up by the distractions of living here, by the things that take us away from the purpose that you created us. Your word says that we are your masterpiece created in advance for the good work that you've called us to do. You've called us to be light in dark places. God, give us the courage and the strength to take our lives and run to the darkest dark the darkest corners of our world. Help us to have a faith that believes that you are big enough and strong enough to look after us. That we can trust you with our lives, our safety. God, you did not save us so that we could be comfortable and secure and and safe. God, you didn't live a life like that. God, help us to follow you. Help us to live our lives like we believe the Bible is really true. God, help us to walk to the edge of those circumstances where if you don't show up, we're lost. God, help us to live a life that's part of your bigger story, that you came to save and rescue those who are lost. Jesus, we just love you. We give our lives to you. We sing songs like that, but help us to live our lives like that. In your blessed name, thank you for your sacrifice for us. We were so far from you. You searched us out. Your love and mercy, your kindness and faithfulness pursued us and found us right where we were and brought us near to you and help us offer that same love and mercy to those who live next to us and those who live on the other side of the world. You're good, God. You're always good.
in your precious son's name. Amen. <laughs>